I want to read to you from the book of John chapter 13, and this will be on the screen as well. It says, this says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now I love this, what he says, he loved them to the very end. That's the kind of savior we have. He loved them to the end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything that he'd come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Peter, being typical Peter, puts his foot in his mouth and goes, no, Peter protests, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. A colossal, typical Peter move misses the point entirely and asks for a bath from Jesus. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are no greater than their are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Would you stand with me one final time this morning? And we're going to pray in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be a, I, th I believe, a message. It's a, it's a standalone message. We're taking a break from our normal series as we're going to be looking at this call of Christ and, and, and what, this means for us as a church as we move into our second year. What does it look like to be a church that reflects the love of Jesus? What does it look like to be a church that displays that kind of love to the community and the people that surrounds us and to the world that is with us? I want to start today as we have this special message by looking at the title of the message is Do As I Have Done. And that's what Jesus told his disciples on that night. He provided them with an illustration this was an illustration that embodied Jesus' entire ministry, his heart, and his purpose. It was a snapshot of all that he was and all that he had come to do. And it's the same call that rests with you and to me today to be the kind of church we're to be and the kind of love we are meant to display to this world. I, I think of it this way. The... the the section of scripture we started with this morning, it begins, and it starts talking about the Last Supper. And Jesus is here, and he's providing an illustration for his disciples. But I think in this moment, have you ever had one of those moments where you kind of get like flashbacks from your past? If you're a grandparent in the room, I, I've heard it often happens, like maybe it's around Christmas, 
and you're around the Christmas tree and you're celebrating and, and you've got like the grandkids playing around. And it's like that nostalgic moment where like you're there, but you're kind of, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. And you're seeing everything that's happening and you're remembering all these memories. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. This is one of the most sacred, important meals he's going to have with his disciples. I can't help wonder if he had some flashbacks. I can't help but wonder if he started thinking back through the different times with his disciples sitting at a campfire with them. As he's sitting there and he's thinking about the meals that they've shared with each other. As he's sitting there and he's thinking about the different things that they've partaken in and they've done together. And as he's looking on this group of men, these are the people that he loves so deeply. And he's trying to think of a way, what can I do to like express the depths of my love for them and what my ministry has been about? I've got just hours left with them before I'm going to depart from this earth. And then it happens just like our kids typically do. One of the Gospels describes it as they start arguing over who's the greatest. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus? He's having this nostalgic moment and he's just like, ah, these are my guys. This is, and then he hears like Peter, James, or John, other people going like, well, I think I'm going to be the better than you. I'm going to be the greatest. And Jesus is like, they missed the point again. <laughs> it's this moment that he's thinking through and he's trying to show them the significance of that moment. I think of my own self. Um, I've recently had the opportunity to do some weddings of different people that I've really known for many, many, many years. Um, I did one in North Carolina earlier this year, and then I did Keenan's also earlier this year. And um, in both of those, there's this moment where I felt like, I don't know, the old guy in the room. Like there's all these young people and they're, and they're, they're families and they're all having babies. But I'm sitting here and like these are people that I've known since like they were in like fifth and sixth grade. And seeing them become who they are. And I, you get this feeling that this is kind of how it's with Jesus in this moment. He's looking back and he's thinking of all that has happened. The significance of this moment cannot be overstated. You see, Jesus is wondering, what do you say? How do you show? How do you reveal? He was determined to show these friends one more time who he was, what he was about, what his life's purpose was, and how in turn they should live their lives. But I love the opening section of the scripture. It says this. Before the celebration of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and he loved them to the end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted G Judas, son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. The next words. So he got up from the table. What do you do in that moment when all eyes are on you? This was Jesus' moment. This was the moment that he had all authority all power. This is the moment where he's sitting here and, and literally in this moment he could, he could have called down like angels from heaven and been like, you know what? Forget this plan. We're going a different way. We're just wiping them all out. 
This is the moment where most people, whenever we're given any measure of power and authority, we end up taking it and using it or or using other people for our own benefits. This moment, John looks at it and he says, in this moment, as Jesus is here and has all authority, all power placed upon him, it says that Jesus in that moment, he scans the table and he gets up and he walks over, takes off his robe, he wraps the towel around his waist, and he comes back to the table to wash their feet. I'll never forget watching. I'm going to crush some people in this room. Michael Jordan is not the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, I'm just going to say that. I'm going to get that out there. Some of you are like, blasphemy. I'm never coming back to this church again. (laughs) Okay. I remember um, as a kid, Jordan was my brother's favorite. He absolutely loved him. I remember, like, uh, whenever it came time for his Hall of Fame speech, I stayed up late. I, I wanted to see it. I was super excited. I went to watch it, and I watched it, and it was a travesty. If you've ever seen his actual Hall of Fame speech, you should Google it and go look it up. It is a perfect example of what not to do when you're given power. He gets up there, and he talks about the people that he has brought into the room with intentionality because he plans to essentially make fun of them from the podium. He brings into the room who paid the ticket for the guy who got on the high school team that they cut him for as if to say, look, I'm better than him. He points out previous coaches. Here's one of the greatest of all time, and he spends the majority of his speech in this pompous, pride-filled moment of look at me, look at me, I'm better, I'm better, and I'm better because I destroyed you. I'm better because I was more competitive than you. I'm better than... Jesus' Hall of Fame speech involved a towel, a wash basin, and dirty water. In this moment when all eyes are on him as he is facing his imminent death, most of us would be thinking, me, 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 me. Jesus looks around and goes, how can I love? How can I serve? It's a stark contrast from what we typically see with this world. See, this moment was an illustration. It was to serve rather than be served. To take the lead in loving even those who would reject him. It showed his heart towards us how much he loved us. And it showed his heart for us how we in turn are supposed to love. See, we see Jesus modeling. He lets us. He lets the disciples in to see, to hear, to feel, and to even experience, to watch and learn. And then he goes on to say, now you do in turn. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. He was determined to show them what true love looked like. question I have for us as we move into our second year as a church is what does the world see when they look at us? What do they see? What they see whenever they look in into that moment. I want you to think about what the disciples saw in that moment. Jesus dressed the part. It says this, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and he'd come from God and returned to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. This is a significant moment. You see, as he takes off the robe, if you know anything about their, their culture and time, the robe actually had incredible significance. Your clothing meant a lot of a great deal. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, 
When he returns home to his father, his father looks at him and he says, put a robe on my son, a ring on his finger, and sandals upon his feet. Because all three of those were distinguishing marks to prove you were not a slave. That you were heir to the family. The ring signified your authority. The clothing that you wore there signified the fact of who you are and the family that you kind of come from. And it showed your, your wealth. It showed your power. Most of the people in that time, they were, they, most of them, they made their own clothes. So to have any kind of means was to be able to like have clothing made custom for you. So the father is having them put the robe upon the son as if to say, my son is not coming back as a slave. My son is coming back as heir to the family estate. And in this moment, Jesus takes off his robe. And he takes off his robe and puts something else on. He wraps a towel around his waist and pours water into a basin. And he comes to his disciples and he starts to wash their feet. Now, we've got shoes. But how many of you know that still? Feet are pretty gross. Right? Some of you, like, there's people in your family, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's smells that have come from their shoes that you're like, that ain't natural. <laughs> that ain't right. I don't even know how that's possible, right? <laughs> right? Now, imagine being in their day and time as you're walking through not paved roads, not, you're walking through the largely mud and muck and feces and urine that the cattle and the donkeys had been all around you. It was customary when you would arrive at, especially a person's means house, that the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest slaves would come and wash your feet. In fact, this job was so disgusting and so looked down upon, if you had a Jewish slave, no matter what, you could not ask them to do this. You couldn't. It was against the law. Think about that. You're washing the grime, the gunk, off of a sandaled, maybe, <laughs> or at least a barefoot, just all that stuff that was on it. It says that Jesus, he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. He strips himself of his divinity, the power due him, and takes on the article of the servant to say, I will love you this deeply. Philippians 2 says this, <laughs> let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All power had been given to him, and he put this to the side from being used for himself to instead to use his power and authority for those around him. He takes up the servant's towel. He picks up this towel. That I remember my own licensing. One of the things that they do is they give you a towel and they put it around your arm and they, they declare over you, this is like your job now as a pastor to serve and to care. 
You see, it's a different mindset in the kingdom. When Jesus walked into the room, the disciples looked and they saw something different about him. They saw love on display and it made them uneasy. They're here at the table, they're bickering and they're arguing. You know, two of them are like, you know, I think I'm better than you. When the day comes, I'm going to sit closer to to the king. You know, when when he comes into his power, this is going to be awesome. And then they look up and they're like, oh, man. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like whenever you as a kid or you're doing something and then mom came in the room and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. It was like that moment. Jesus comes walking in, but he's no longer wearing the robe. He's holding the basin of water and he's holding the towel. And they instantly get nervous. Because as they were just arguing over who was the greatest, he made himself the least. As they were arguing over who deserves the most honor, the one who breathed stars into existence was about to wipe feces off their foot. That's the king we serve. That's the king we serve. The king whose mind should be in us as well. You see, what they see is he dressed the part. He put on the servant's towel. When the world looks at us at this church, they are looking in. What are they to see? They're looking to see, does our love look like we are serving? Or does it look like we're in it to get and to take? Love that is radical is love that serves the least of these. Who we serve matters. See, the truth is this, love looks to redeem the image of God in a broken vessel and the call of God echoing in a broken life. I love this. Um, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 22. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, to strengthen your brethren. The table seating would have been more like a U, okay? And it would have been a U shape. And the, the guest, the host, the, the most important person, person, Jesus, would have been sitting in the middle of the, of the U. And so what would typically be in a seating like this is that the people who held the greatest places of power would be the closest to him, and you'd work your way out like in, in a typical kingdom. I want you to notice something very carefully with this. Judas is sitting really close to Jesus. The one who would betray him is close enough that Jesus could dip his bread into the, and then hand it to him. He was that close. On that night, Jesus is going to partake in the Lord's Supper, and he's also going to wash the feet of the very man he knows is going to betray him. He's going to scrub the feet of the man who's going to kiss him on the cheek in betrayal. He's going to do it also to the person who's going to deny ever having known him three times in just a matter of hours. And then also for the other ones who are going to flee and desert him at his greatest moment of need. What kind of king does this? Who do we serve like this? Jesus loved and he served that night his betrayer, his denier, and those who would desert him. That's a love that doesn't make sense to our culture. That's a love that doesn't make sense to the world in which we live in. But it's a love that screams heaven's heart. 
question then becomes is how do we serve? When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? <clears throat> and Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. How we serve matters. Love that was revealed in the dirty water displayed God's perspective on us and what our perspective on a hurting world should be. I want to show you something. This is love. This is what love looks like. We're very comfortable with Jesus oftentimes like up in heaven, like crystal clean, like he looks like Mr. Clean. I don't know why, but he's like spotless. Like um, on that night that Jesus was to be betrayed, the one who created knees The one who spoke stars into existence and rose mountains from the ground. He kneels and he comes up to the disciple and takes off their, their sandals so carefully and he sticks their feet into that water. And the hands that formed Adam wraps itself around this foot that is covered in the muck and the grime of life in the feces that have been around around the urine. I mean, think about it. This is the most disgusting. Like, no one in here wants to go to the, um, I don't know, the closest gas station and lick the toilet seat. Right? That, that, like, that, that just is disgusting to even remotely think about. Think about what the king of kings is touching in this moment. The hands of innocence and perfection are deep in the muddy waters of our life. And it didn't scare him. The king of kings, he's sitting here and he's, he's washing their feet. And the love that was revealed in the dirty water displayed God's perspective on us. He said to them, essentially, look, I can make you clean. As I serve you and as I love you, I, the King of Kings, can make you clean. Listen to me, some of you, here's the problem. You feel like this is your life and you feel like the King of Kings wants nothing to do with it. <clears throat> There's things in your past that you're not proud of, you're ashamed of, you wish you could go back and do differently. And you almost feel like just barely coming into the feet of Jesus. It's like, a, it's like almost like an annoyance to him. You think like he's going, oh, like, oh, they're here again. Can I tell you that the king wants to put his hands in the dirty waters of your life? He's not scared of your past. He's hopeful for your future. 
the king wants to put his hands. And, and this is what I love about this. Listen, love was revealed in that moment like never before. John looks back on this moment. Can you imagine after seeing Jesus raised from the dead, after going to all the world and, and starting to tell people about the, like going back to this moment and going, the king of kings, on the night that he would be betrayed, he chose to wash my feet? Like why would he do that? That's what love does. That's what love does. See, this love is the greatest evidence to a broken world. It's the greatest evidence. John chapter 13 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. In other words, in the same manner, you should love each other. Your love for one another will, what's that word? Prove. It will prove to the world you're my disciples. If we're to be the church that Christ is calling us to be, we have to love like this. <clears throat> this was over a decade ago. I was at um, a Christmas party with uh, someone in my wife's family and The night was starting to wind down, and everyone had kind of opened up presents, and most everyone was downstairs kind of talking and doing their things. And uh, I had a chance to be upstairs with uh, one of the members of her family who hadn't been to church in decades. And it was a God-ordained moment. We're sitting there, and we're talking, and we're sharing with each other. And um, no one else is around, and suddenly he starts opening up to me more than ever before. And I asked him, I was just like, you know, what's your story? Why haven't you been to church? Why, why do you seem so distant from God? And he paused for a moment and took a big swallow. He lifted up his eyes and he looked at me and he said, Josh, about 12 years ago, when me and my, my girlfriend were pregnant, we went to this church in the area. It was when I sat in that service and I heard the pastor preach, and it was as if God himself was there just staring straight at me and talking to me. It was one of the most singular important moments of my entire life. He goes, and I was so moved to tears, and as I was walking out of the service that day, I, I was going to go greet and say something to the pastor, and the pastor saw me walk up and extended my hand, and he looked down and saw I didn't have a wedding band on, and he saw her, and he just completely bypassed us. And he's never been back to church since. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. I pray for him often because that's not what the church is meant to do. Let me tell you a different story, a lot more fun story. Youth pastor, his name was Mark Iaconelli. He had a kid who grew up in his youth ministry and... Uh, loved Jesus and was going into a relationship with God, had some really bad family ties, right after his senior year, completely walked away from the faith and joined a gang, um, did a bunch of different things, and in the process of it, he basically was like completely tattooed up from almost head to toe. <clears throat> he followed him on Facebook for many, many years and kept reaching out to him. And um, in the process of all this, he just kept like trying to like, you know, be a voice in this kid's ear and the, and the kid didn't really ever respond much at all. And uh, 
a few years later, he sees him at uh, a church, and this kid's just on fire for Jesus. And he's like, what happened? Like, he goes, I'll tell you the story. He goes, I, it was about 20 years I hadn't been in church at all. And he goes, one day I'm driving down the road, and I'm so mad at God. And I'm sitting there, and I'm screaming, and I'm in the car going, like, you don't even exist. This is stupid. You're stupid. He goes, you know what? I'm going to prove to you how pathetic you are and how pathetic your followers are. I'm going to find the closest church. I'm going to pull into their parking lot, and I'm going to wear my tank top so that they can see every single tattoo. And I want you to watch how judgmental and pathetic your people are. So he pulls in the parking lot, and he gets out of his car. And he's got his, his beater on, right? He's got his white tight shirt, you know, and he's out there, and he's doing the whole, you know, got to flex him, make myself look tough, you know. And he's walking, right? And then out of nowhere, there's this 86-year-old woman coming towards him, and he's like, yes, I knew it. And he, as she's approaching him, he's looking at God, and he's going, I knew it. I haven't even been here for 30 seconds, right? And she walks up to him, and she goes, nice tats. You know what happened that day? He walked in and he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his life was forever changed. Listen to me. Listen. Please hear me. If we're going to be the church God's called us to be, we can't be scared of this. This was you. This was me. Jesus plunged his hands into the dirty waters of my life, and he said, Joshua, if you will just come to me, I can make you clean. If you will just trust me, I will take the thing you are most ashamed of, and I can turn it into your greatest glory. I can turn it and shape it for my glory so that my kingdom can be seen through even your brokenness. The greatest evidence of God to a broken world is when we love like that. Mother Teresa said it this way, the hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. We sometimes think that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, uncared for is the greatest of poverty. And this is a woman who knew poverty. <clears throat> See, the reason we do this is because of why we serve. Why do we serve? Why do we love like this? Because it creates awareness. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. I always thought that was a strange sentence. This is John writing, and he's writing of himself. <laughs> the disciple that Jesus loved was sitting next to him at the table. <laughs> Simon Peter motioned him to ask, who is he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? It always seems strange to me that John referenced himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But catch this. Carl Barth, the commentator, writes, the older that John got, the more profound his relationship. And, and he asked, what is the most profound truth after all these years? They're asking this to Carl Barth. What, what is the most profound truth after all these years of studying, Carl, that, that what is the most profound truth you know from all of your studying? He just simply responded, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Christy and Nystrom in their commentary says, John who writes this as an old man is still amazed that Jesus would love someone like him. At John's feet, as his feet were so carefully washed by Jesus, 
placing himself at the feet of John, a broken man, he was overcome by God's love for him, and it gave him an incredible awareness of who God is. And when we love like this, it creates an awareness too. When we metaphorically sit at the feet of the hurting, the broken, the betrayers, the deniers, the sinners, and place ourselves in the role of the servant, displaying love in the position of slave, how can they not but experience the love of Jesus? It's not until we realize how Jesus has served us and loved us. It's not until we realize he has plunged his hands into the dirt of our life can we then in turn also love in that manner. Jesus says to refuse to acknowledge how much he has loved us is to have no part in him. I want to talk to us as we bring this to a close, though, about the role of Judas. Judas was there that night. Can I be honest? If I'm Jesus, I'd have found a way to get him out. If I know this guy's going to betray me, I know he's going to kiss me on the cheek and betray me and, and do all this. I, I, would, I would find a way. <laughs> I would wash 11 out of the 12's feet. I'd get to him and be like, no thanks. I know what you're going to do, son. <laughs> Not happening, right? But he still washed Judas's feet. The king of kings, knowing Judas was to betray him, still kneeled down and washed his feet. I think there's two reasons for this. Number one, it's to remind you and me, no matter how many times we've made mistakes and messed up and betrayed our love of Jesus, he is there and longing for you. There's a second reason. No one is excluded for how we are supposed to love. If the king of kings plunged his hands into the dirt of Judas's life, knowing what he would do, we don't get a pass for not loving people. G Judas was there on purpose. Jesus wanted the disciples to see him wash Judas's feet because he knows they're going to look back to this moment and he's going to know that they're going to look back knowing that he knew what was going to happen and they're going to sit there and John someday is going to be going he washed his feet what kind of love does that and as John sits there and he thinks about that and then you get to the first second and third John you hear this writer pouring out about the love of God he's astounded by it See, there is no one more important, greater, more worthy, higher office, higher power, higher responsibility than Jesus. If we choose to not love like that, we're in essence saying to Jesus, I'm more important than you. If you chose to use your authority, your power to serve others, and I think it's really meant for me to be served, what I'm saying to Jesus is I'm really more important than you. No one can be added to our list of who is not deserving of this type of love. Judas, betrayer. Peter, denier. All the others, they abandon, they desert, and they run in just a matter of hours. And yet Jesus, 
he still loves them like this. This is what God is calling us to. This is the type of church he's calling Glad Tidings Hartford City to be. A place that someone can walk in here. I pray this every week. I pray every single week. God, would you send someone into this room who hates church? God, would you send someone into this room who is so far from you that they feel like there's no way back home? God, would you send someone to this room that feels like they have messed up so many times there's no possible way that your love could cover their sins? God, would you send someone to this room who they've been to church in years and years and years ago, but they've been so hurt they've never thought about opening the doors again? And God, would you in that moment use this church to be the kind of place that we wrap our arms around that person and say, the love of Jesus, it's here for you. Come. Come as you are and allow Christ to change you. See, that's the thing. His love is so good, he doesn't leave us in the murky waters. And that's good. His Holy Spirit convicts us. We repent of sin and he takes the grime out of our life and he makes us clean and like him. He can do that with anyone. That's the kind of church called to be. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted and elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I pray that today you would hear him loving you. This was a physical example given to the disciples that was meant for us as well. If you are in Christ, you are loved like this. If you are in Christ, let him plunge his hands into the mud of your life. I plead with you. He's not scared. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you deeply. He loves you recklessly. We're so used to, like everybody else, turning a blind eye to our brokenness and to our pain and to our shame. But can I tell you something? The King of Kings does not turn a blind eye. He runs with a smile on his face saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I'm here for you. Listen to me. When my son gets sick, it's going to get a little weird, okay? When my son has gotten sick before, I, I was like literally running with him to the bathroom and like he puked on the ground and I slipped in his puke. 
It was awful. It was a bad night, okay? Bad night in the Johnson home. But can I tell you something? Listen to me. I didn't look at him and go, I can't believe you did that. How could you? No, I wanted to be present with him in the mess. Do you realize that the king of kings wants to be present with you in your mess? You're going, oh, God, if you really knew Pastor Joshua, you're right. I don't know. But, but God does, and he's not scared. And he wants to come, and he wants to take, and he wants to change, and he wants to make you more like him. He's not scared of the dirty waters of your life. Will you let him? Secondly, we are to love like that. What he has done for us, we are to do for others. Who in your life needs a life-giving church? Who in your life needs Jesus? Who in your life, who, who, who do you go to work with every, every day and like, you can just tell that there's mud. You can just tell that there's pain, that there's brokenness. You can just tell that, that there is this going on. And can I tell you something? Listen to me. We have hope. We have Jesus. Listen, our testimony is I once was this, but now I'm a child of the king. Because the robe that the king took off, he has put on me. Because the, the penalty that was due me, he placed upon himself on the cross. And he died a death that a sinner deserves. And that was me. In exchange, I get to be declared righteous. I get to be declared a son and daughter of the king of kings. I made heir with Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the story we have. That's the type of church I believe God's calling us to be. Would you stand with me this morning? On your chair is that come sit with me card. Can you just pick it up for just a second and hold it in your hands? <clears throat> As you hold this card in your hand, my prayer is a name would come to you. Who in your life needs Jesus? Who at work, school, family, friend, relative, who needs to be reminded that there's a love that goes beyond anything we can understand or fathom? And as you hold this card, I want you to pray for them this morning. Praying that God would, this year, move in their life in might and power. That they would become awakened and aware to his great love for them. But also that he would use us. Maybe that person is the person who needs this card this week. Someone you can say, hey, come find a place that feels like home. Come find a place that will love you. But then we need to be that place. 
We have to each one of us individually choose to be the place where we're saying every person who walks through those doors will receive love and hope and kindness and grace and mercy. And they're going to see it and taste it in my life. And so as we pray for this, we're going to do that.